Welcome to the Deeper Into Movies podcast. My name is Stephen T. Hanley. I'm the founder and lead creator of Deeper Into Movies. We are a pop-up cinema based in London and New York. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by director Ty West. We're talking about his new movie, X, released by A24. I'm so glad Ty's back. I've been a fan of his movie since he started out. House of the Devil was incredible. A seminal horror movie. Innkeepers was awesome. His first movie, The Nest, was so good. That's a slept on movie. I need to rebuy a copy of that on Amazon because it's nowhere online. But yeah, Ty's back. It's been about 10 years. He's been working steadily in TV. But he's back where he should be making movies. And X is going to be a trilogy, as he'll explain during the chat. But yeah, I'm glad, man. I, I, he's one of those directors that I always check in on IMDb to see what he's up to. Has he made a short? Has he made a film that I may have missed somewhere? But yeah, he's back and he's with A24, so he's in really good hands. Here is me and Ty. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Really good. Thanks for taking the time to talk. Yeah, glad to do it. Our buddy Joe Swanberg introduced us via email. He did. He's great. Yeah, I've known Joe since the very beginning of making movies. He sent me a really funny message. I said, what have you been up to recently? No, he asked me what I've been up to recently. I said, I've been watching this movie and this movie. What about you? And he just sent me a text that he's opened up an entire video store full of vhs a very joe thing to do so i'm hoping to i haven't been i saw him it's been a couple of years as you, as it's been for everybody in the last couple of years you suddenly think oh i saw him recently and then you wait no it's been years actually um but i'm hoping to get to chicago sometime later this year and check it out because it's it's kind of remarkable what, he, what he's doing i'm so sickeningly jealous i thought he was just gonna say like he made a short film or he's been watching a bunch of stuff but no he's just opened an entire video store but his driving ambition is kind of super impressive anyway yeah, I've, I was it always. Um, I've known Joe since 2005. We both had our first films at South by Southwest, and I um, we just got along. And I've always been amazed at how prolific he is. So it's anytime I feel like I'm being kind of lazy, um, I look at Joe and he's like, "Well, I've made 10 new movies," and I'm like, "Oh, yeah," and like a Netflix show as well. It's crazy. You said something interesting in a interview I heard recently, which is very true, where you said that you, Joe like the Duplass brothers, Greta, that was almost the last wave or scene of indie filmmakers that ready to come up as a group. Maybe. I, I think I did say something like that. And I don't know, you know, certainly someone could show up and prove me wrong, but what it seems like to me... Or maybe a scene, if that's more accurate. A scene is probably a way to say it. And, and the reason I say that is because having been around all of that, everybody was making stuff... And I don't know that anyone was really thinking about, or at least I wasn't aware of anybody thinking about what the end game of it was. It was just, this is what we're doing because this is what we do. And so it had this really like 
cool energy. It's why everybody would like come hold the boom pole on everybody's movie. Yeah. Like, well, what else are we doing? We might as well just keep <laughs> making movies before someone says we can't do this anymore. And maybe that's just my perspective on it. But I realized that towards the end of that group of people getting more successful and getting more into like, let's say, a structured, like where you're not sleeping on the floor holding the boom pole for somebody, you're just making a yeah. movie in a more traditional manner. I kept looking for like 22 year olds coming up behind us to be like <laughs> making us very jealous and doing amazing things. And they, I, what I noticed is that there's no shortage of brilliant young people doing things with like video, mm -hmm. but they weren't necessarily doing it in the form of feature filmmaking. They were doing it in the form of uh, the social media, whether it be vines or YouTube or things like that. And obviously that's become a whole new kind of outlet and media for, for people. But in the same way that when I think about, me in high school in my bedroom playing guitar. I'm like, how many kids in their high school, in their bedrooms now are playing guitar or are they doing digital things? And it would make sense to be doing more digital things. But, you know, I think of me in the nineties being like, well, I'm affected by Nirvana or like punk rock or something. And the cool thing is like, you play guitar and you're loud and it's like in your face. And that's even less of a thing. Like rock and roll feels less of a thing. It feels like it's segued a little bit. And I feel like movies in the same way the 90s obviously was a big independent film boom. Mm -hmm. And maybe the 2010s on became a boom about like more of a content creator influencer kind of thing. And I don't say that pejoratively. I just say it as something that's like, this just seems to be, if I was 15 now, would I want to be making movies or would I want to have a YouTube channel? And I, to be honest, I'm not sure. Yeah, because I think I'm 42. I think you're a similar age. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I was thinking that, era around the, that beautiful time of like dogma and mumblecore and when you could get really cool mini dv camcorders that look really good Th that was that beautiful era when then it's like the dvd market i'd catch your movies at fright fest i'd catch joe's movies at the film festivals and stuff uh, yeah i guess it's kind of a, that's when physical media and the, all those type of it's not as if it doesn't exist anymore it just there was some as, as much as i would still roll my eyes and i think everybody would at the term mumblecore it that was in a way kind of a joke but it was at least acknowledging that it was like there's a bunch of people making movies for like five bucks and we don't know why they're doing it and that to me was interesting and it was like we're just doing it and i think that now i i don't see as much of that but i also might just not be paying as much attention but it does seem to me that yeah, i don't hear about that many of the 23 year olds making a movie for three thousand dollars and making as much noise as I think the filmmakers then were. No, I think it would just get dropped into like a Vimeo vortex or something. I think you can make every, you can make anything, but getting it distributed or in a way that you guys did is just a whole different whole different landscape. Riding a weird evolution of of how the industry has changed. And I remember when House of the Devil came out on VOD. Like I had explained to everybody what VOD was. <laughs> VOD for House of the Devil was actually great because when you went to your TV and you saw VOD, House of the Devil was a marquee title. Five right. years later, House of the Devil was buried between enormous Hollywood movies. And that was not the case when House of the Devil. So in 2009, VOD, there was like a niche for, for movies that were smaller movies that could find an audience. They're still on iTunes now, but you have to scroll past every enormous $100 million movie to find it. And so that's just a little bit harder. Right. I'm guessing the indie movies were affordable. You could obtain the rights and you could put them on the 
streaming channels or on demand, I guess, more easily. Yeah, and they were just, for an audience, you could find them easier because you didn't have to search for them because there wasn't that much there. I know you've been working in TV for six or so years now. Were you pitching movies as well in this time or were you just fully focused on hopping from different shows as guest directors? Um, I can't remember. I think I probably did one or two movie writer jobs where I wrote a movie for somebody or I pitched a movie and sold it and we were going to make it and then we didn't make it. But I was pretty focused on TV. I did sell three of my own television series at the time. But what's tricky about TV is, you know, it's hard to sell a TV show. And if you're lucky enough to do that, it's harder to get them to then let you write all of them. And if you write all of them, it's hard to make sure that the person who originally bought it off you stays at that job and doesn't go to another job. And the new person that comes in goes, well, we're not making shows like that anymore. So I had kind of three of those in a row. So while I was doing TV, I was, my goal was to try to make my own show and write and direct every episode, which is an enormous <laughs> amount of work. And what would happen is I would get about halfway through that process. And then the head of that company would go work at another company. And the person who came in to replace them would be like, ah, we're doing something different now. So that was kind of going on in the background, but I was really happily working on, you know, TV, I think it's a bad rap guest directing, if you will. It seems like it's some sort of compromise. I've never felt that. I've felt very happy to be involved and very happy to like help people make their show the way they want it to be. And hopefully a little more visually interesting than they thought of um, because I, from doing everything myself for so long, production is not particularly intimidating to me. So in TV, they always tell you, you don't have any time, you don't have any money. But compared to say what we were just talking about previous to this, we have plenty of time and plenty of money. <laughs> so it, it was kind of, I took to it very easily because I could come in and I could execute well. And that was just a good feeling because prior to that, you know, no one had really ever offered me anything career-wise in my life. So when someone says, can you be on a plane Monday? I was like, sure. That's funny because I remember, I think Rob Zombie said he was working on an episode of like CSI or something and he had a cool idea for a shot and one of the cast were like, can you just not? This is just going to add an extra few hours to our day and we don't want this extra shit. We just want to go home. But you, it sounds like you had a completely different experience. Than My experience in TV has been very, like with the exception of two shows where I feel like the edit got sort of, remarkably far away from what I turned in. Everything else I did is almost exactly what I turned in. And I've never had anyone telling me I can't do things or, you know, it's been, um, I found it to be very rewarding and, and great. And it made me spend a lot of time just practicing filmmaking, which was great. And then it also made me think if I was gonna go back and make a movie, which I assumed I would, why would I do that? Because I'm enjoying doing television. And I had to think about why I would do that. And that's, that's in many ways what made X happen is I was like, what would make me even do this? What would be worth doing it? So how did um, X come about? I know I know you had some fears or questions about getting older. I know that was one of the sparking points. Well, what really happened is I was I was trying to think of a movie idea that would be worth the two years of trauma to go back to making a movie. And 
I was thinking about what do I like about movies? And I thought what I really liked about movies from the beginning is I really love like cinema and the craft of filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And I was feeling like movies in general, I was seeing less craft that I was not impressed isn't the right word, but I were, I was less movies were making me go, how did they do that? Or wow, that's really cool that they did that. Mm -hmm. I was getting a lot of plot and a lot of good acting and very competent things that I was seeing, but I wasn't seeing anything that I was like, whoa, they took a risk there. And so things felt kind of safe and they felt kind of soft, particularly in horror. So I started thinking about like a slasher movie because I never made something like that. And I never really had an idea for a slasher movie. And I was going on and on in my head about like, well, I want to make something that's very craft driven. So I wanted to make a movie about movie making, but I didn't want to make a movie about people making a horror movie because that's too meta. And I didn't want to make a movie like the player or something about the studio system because I don't know, I've never experienced that. So I don't know enough about it. But I was thinking that in you know a slasher movie, which is typically a lowbrow sex and violence kind of subgenre, if they were making an adult movie, particularly in the 70s, when you went out to make an adult movie in the 70s, it really wasn't much different than making a horror movie in the 70s because you were working outside of a Hollywood system. You were going straight to a consumer. And even though it's pornography, you still had to make the rest of the movie then. So they still had to have a camera and film and lights and sound and a, and a uh, they had to sync the sound and they had to do all the work. And so I felt like this is a good way for people to enter into a sex and violence subgenre like a slasher movie in a mm -hmm. sort of exploitation movie kind of context and then get this kind of crash course on what it's like to make a movie. And if that endeared you to the characters and that made you learn anything interesting about how maybe something on screen that's erotic isn't erotic when you're making it, you would start to think about the choices that go into things and you would maybe start to appreciate some of the choices that were going into the larger movie as a whole that I was making. So it was a way to kind of just endear people to these characters and endear people to the craft of filmmaking and then hopefully have them be like, oh, the filmmaking in this movie X is actually cool too. So even though I'm enjoying all of the horror elements, the audience friendly elements, when I walk home, I'm also talking about the filmmaking, which to me is something I love to do when I was trying to find a movie that kind of could reverse engineer that idea into it. And that's that's how it came to be. That's great. And you filmed during COVID in New Zealand. Is that right? That's right. We were going to shoot in the summer of 2020 in the States, and that became very difficult for obvious COVID reasons. And we didn't want to push a year because the movie needed to take place in the summer. So we looked at the Southern Hemisphere. And at the time, New Zealand had zero cases. And of course, what a workshop is there. And we found, I didn't think we'd find a location, but we found a location it, with a house and a farm that that looked Texas enough that we could probably add to that and create the rest of it. So we went down there and and we ended up making two movies back to back, but we had a great experience. Yeah, I, I just read that you've already shot the prequel. Yeah, it's all done. That's amazing. So that's going to be the origin story of Old Mia Golf. That's correct. Amazing. How was it for Mia casting her as two characters at once? Well, that was always the goal was to have whoever played Maxine play Pearl because I always thought of them as, you know, two different characters, but sort of the same person. But I didn't know, one, if I could find an actor that could do it, two, if I could do it, technically speaking, and three, if we could get good enough prosthetics to make it work. And we were very fortunate because of New Zealand, because Weta enthusiastically came on. And Mia was the first person I talked to, and I did not tell her about it. We just talked about the script, and she really got it, and she really liked the Maxine character, and she understood the themes of the movie, and she was just really into it. And then I said, well, here's an idea I have. Like, what if you were to play both? 
And there was this great, like she just paused and I could see like the wheels turning and she just was like, I could kill that. And I just believed her. Oh, wow. That's, it was that sort of confidence that I was like, not only is that like, you know, endearing to the character of Maxine, it, it's what this movie was about. Like it was about people's ambition to do things and, and, and have, what is the term? Like unlikely opportunities. So I think she immediately saw this as a real opportunity and she wanted to do it really bad. And I just believed her hundred percent. And so I suddenly was just like, I believe you can do it. And I believe Weta can do this and it's going to be great. Is that Peter Jackson's company? Yes. Oh, cool. So how was it? Would you have just her one day in full makeup for, how did you split the shoot between old and young? Yes, it was very technically tedious. Any day we had a, them in the same scene together, we would shoot her as Maxine one day and Pearl as the other day. We'd have a photo double that we would swap each other day. Sometimes we had a stunt double. Um, very little of it is VFX. Most of it is done practically, like just another person in the same clothes over their shoulders and things like that. Um, but you know, it's hard to keep that on your head. It's hard to shoot that over two days. It's hard to make sure you get the lighting exactly the same. And, you know, she's performing, we had someone for her to perform with, but you know, she's performing against a future performance of her own in her head. Yeah. So it's a very, you know, strange thing to do. And it, it was exhausting for everybody because even for Mia, when she was playing Pearl, that's like a six hour makeup job before a 10 hour day. So that's a very difficult thing for a person to do just physically speaking let alone to be able to do the performance and be believably another person and how long a break did you have before you began the prequel about a month so we finished x and when we were finishing x the production designer and the costume designer because x takes place over a day their work was ran out before everybody else's so once all the sets were established and once all the looks were established they had time so they started prepping a little bit earlier but the real prep started I think we finished X, took a week off, and then we had a month of prep for Pearl, and then we went right into it. And Martin Henderson, that's an amazing cast right there. I've, I've never seen him before. He was fantastic. He's, he's got that that real old school, real man energy, but he's so charismatic and funny. Yeah, it's funny too, because he's from New Zealand. And I mean, I didn't even know that about him, and I met him in the States, well, over Zoom. But uh yeah, it's funny, even when we finished the movie and I started, because he never really broke the accent when we were shooting. I think it was probably just easier for him to stay in it. So when I saw him recently at the premiere and everything, it's like a jarring for me to have spent so long with him in person as Wayne and then also as the editor. I, I know him sounding a certain way. Yeah, he looks and feels so Southern. He's just really got that energy to him. And credit to him when he sort of read for the movie, you know, that was a role. It's a good example to talk about because when people would audition for that role, Sometimes they would do it like greased back hair, toothpick in their mouth, gold chains, like real creepy. Yeah. He just immediately understood that it's like this, like this go-getter football coach, entrepreneur kind of Texas energy. And he just immediately got it. It got the humor and, and it was an obvious choice as soon as I met him. And how was it being back in the saddle as director for after all this time? Did it feel any different than your TV jobs? Yes and no. It's the thing is that TV is a little bit more like a consulting job and the actual process of making it is very, very similar. So I felt very, very sharp and used to being on set. So being on set for my movie, I was really ready to be there because I had just been on 17 episodes of TV and like back to back. So that was no different. The difference is if I'm coming in to direct episode five of a TV show and it's going to suddenly rain all week, that's like production's problem. And I'm there to help as best I can. 
but it's not an existential disaster for me because we'll just figure this out on your own movie. When that happens, it's an existential disaster because what if the only way to figure out is some horrible compromise where you never get to do it the way you want. And then you never got to, whereas on TV, I'm giving it 110%, but I'm not emotionally attached. Whereas on your own movie, you're giving it 110%, but you're emotionally attached that if you leave anything on the field, it's a really horrible feeling. So it's um, the overall just like stress and anxiety is higher, but the actual process of making the movie was, was I, I'm, I was very accustomed to that from going from six TV shows a year. What was your biggest challenge and hardest scene aside from obvious COVID? Well, you know, working in the water, with like this practical alligator effect was, you know, not unlike Jaws where it doesn't always work like you want it to. And, you know, the lights fading and you're stressed. So that was, that's just hard and slow, you know, having a character play two people or actor play two different characters is um, it's all, everyone loves it when it's done. Just like everybody loves seeing someone get killed on screen when it's done. But the process of making that is very tedious because you need the blood to land in one specific spot. And if it doesn't, you have to reset and you have to clean everything and you're running out of time. So um, there wasn't anything on this movie that wasn't really ambitious um, schedule wise. So it was it was pretty challenging all the way through. There wasn't but we never had any disasters. We never had that one particular thing that didn't work or was so hard. It was more just like, all right, let's get in the water and let's try to tow this alligator and try to get it to look right. And then trying to communicate, like shouting across a pond on what you want it to do. And, you know, it's on a cable system and things like that. So it's just technically challenging. That was my favorite scene, the alligator scene that seemed like that, that that's all my kind of my favorite things you do whereas kind of almost meditative and ambient but you've got that slow tension building in as well yeah i'm, I'm very happy that that scene has resonated with people because it was as i was saying it was difficult to do and to get it just right and um it's most people's favorite scene so that's really cool did you show the crew anything for reference or was any movies you were doing your homework watching or even any like porn movies of the era that you watch for reference? No, I think most of it was the crew just talking to them about like, this is a movie that's like the spirit of filmmaking is a big part of it. So we're going to be out on location. Most of the crew had just come off Avatar. So they've been on a blue screen stage for a very long time. So to get back out and, you know, be practically doing things, I think was exciting for them. And it was really just about letting everyone know that like all the details are going to be meticulously crafted on this. And we're really aiming for like, like a high level of, of technical execution, even though this is a small movie. And everybody just seemed very game for that. And so that was most of what it was. I'm sure the actors I gave, like me, I, I gave her a list of some horror movies that are like, these are just the vibes, you know, some things to watch and think about. But there wasn't anything that was like, let's say homework, if you will. And I was thinking back to House of the Devil. You captured the 80s so well in a really tasteful, subtle way unlike Stranger Things now when it's really in your face and where's my VHS copy of E.T.? But has people said this before that I think you really pioneered that retro look for lack of a better term? Uh, certainly when the movie came out, people were very complimentary of how authentic it felt, um, which of course was the point because we're making this period movie and I want you to be lost in the world and not bump on anything. I think the big difference from maybe House of the Devil or even X and some other period movies is that um, I have a certain amount of nostalgia for the era, but I don't necessarily have a nostalgia for the media of the era. And right. what I mean by that is like in the early eighties, if you were a regular person, your furniture was from the seventies. 
But right. if you made a movie in the early 80s and you gave them all the brand new stuff, then that's kind of like what commercials were doing or what movies were doing. So in many ways, there, there's, and I don't think there's anything wrong with being nostalgic for media up there, but I'm more nostalgic for like the lived in experience of it than I am the way that whatever the, the, the height of the commercialism of the time was. And so I just, I kind of have a allergy to when anything is too kitschy. Yes. So that's just my taste though. And how do you feel about horror now? Is there anything you enjoy now or do you think it's kind of, do you like the art horror? Yeah, I haven't seen too much lately. Um, I've been kind of, in my own world. I mean, I think that Ari Aster is doing interesting things. Mm-hmm. Robert Eggers doing interesting things. Um, maybe Raw is my favorite horror movie of the past several years. I thought that was really great. Um, so, you know, it, it's easy to rag on horror. It's easy to say that like the sort of corporate nature of the success of horror has made everything soft and things like that. But that's not to say that there aren't still great movies being made. It's just horror used to be like, it's not that it wasn't commercial because it always was made money, but it wasn't like four quadrant commercial where it was for everybody and meant to make a hundred million dollars. It was something that was like in the video store in the corner and was a little salacious and, and like kind of like the near dwells were interested in it. And it was like a, it had more of a subversive vibe to it. And it was like kind of dangerous. Like, Ooh, only this, these movies look a little dangerous. There's just much less of that on a whole. And I think that's due to, you know, probably in the 2000s, horror movies started making hundreds of millions of dollars. And then they started being made by, you know, corporations with stockholders. And the goal with that is to make a really kind of like fun theater experience that, you know, is scary in a sort of very safe way, not in a sort of subversive kind of way. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I like those movies also, but my uh, formative years were more like trawling the like creepy video store aisle of like, you know, this is the real shit, you know? So yeah, same. I was a bit charmed by that. And how does it feel to be back? Are you back for more films? You ready to get put through the mill again? I'm very happy. I'm very excited about Pearl because we made, we kept that a secret for a really long time, which yeah. is a miracle in itself. And people really don't know much about it. And I'm trying to keep that the way, because I think X is a movie that has really benefited from people not knowing about it and really benefits from people not spoiling it. And I think Pearl the less you know about Pearl, because it's a very different kind of movie, the more satisfying it'll be to go into it. Like it's in no way just more X. It's a different thing. And I'm very proud of it. And I'm excited for people to see it. And, you know, if all goes well, I, I try to make this third movie and, and try to make this kind of weird little trilogy out of nowhere. Oh, amazing. Cool. It's so nice talking to you. I'm so glad you're back. I've been a fan since The Nest. Yeah, well, I'm I'm hopeful that when people see Pearl, they're, 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 the enthusiasm stays stays where it is. Yeah, stay with us. Cool. Thank you, buddy. Right on. go me and ty west he's a talker that was a good chat look forward to the x sequels as always thanks for listening thanks to my engineer ewan henselwood joshua eustace aka telephone Tel Aviv, for my beautiful music and you guys for listening i'll speak to you soon